And that's what climate change is about. It is literally, not figuratively, a clear and present danger. We are in the beginning of a mass extinction. The ability of CO2 to do the heavy work of creating a climate catastrophe is almost nil at this point. The price of oil has been artificially elevated to the point of insanity. That's not how you power a modern industrial system. The ultimate goal of this renewable energy you know, plan is to reach the exact same point that we're at now. You know who's tried that? Germany. Seven straight days of no wind for Germany. Uh, their factories are shutting down. They really do act like weather didn't happen prior to like 1910. Today is Friday. Yes, indeed, it is Friday, Greta, and this is our own personal Friday protest climate change roundtable episode number 94, climate trial of the century, man versus Stein. It's going to be a big one. I'm your host, Anthony Watts, Senior Fellow for Environment and Climate at the Heartland Institute and part of Climate Enemy number one team here today. We have with us our regular panelists, Dr. H. Sterling Burnett, Director of the Arthur B. Robinson Center at the Heartland Institute, Linnea Lucan, our research fellow at the Robinson Center, and also joining us, Vice President of Communications at the Heartland Institute, Jim Lakely, who's going to provide us with some color commentary from the Man versus Stein trial that is ongoing. Could be going I should as mention- long as three weeks. We we should mention none of us have yet to be sued by Michael Mann so far. Yeah, we're working. We'll, we'll on give it, our best out today for sure. I've seen the show <laughs> run down. We're in big trouble. Yeah, we're working on it. Um, in any event, uh, before we get to the Mann versus Stein trial, we're going to have our usual fare of climate crazy news of the week. So let's start off with our first one, uh, which uh, giant freaking space mirrors. Yes. Solar energy on the ground isn't good enough. So what, what what do they want to do now? They want to put giant freaking space mirrors out there to reflect sunlight down to the ground. Here's a story from Joe Nova that talks about this. I mean, what could go wrong with this, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we've already seen birds get vaporized with that uh, power plant uh, down in, uh, in the desert near Las Vegas. I mean, what could happen with giant freaking space mirrors pushing beams down to the planet's surface? Mm-hmm. Planes, planes erupting into flames uh, spontaneously. <laughs> of course, I, I'll tell you what, I, I see a story like this and I think any kid who's ever owned a magnifying glass <laughs> could tell you what could go wrong with this, even though when you're a kid, you don't think it's wrong. It's just pretty cool. But yeah, but the, uh, the sicko, the sickos who kill ants with their uh, with their magnifying glass are the kind of people that are now in charge of climate policy around the world. They're all nuts. No, I expect that the sickos, that, that, A, they weren't sickos. They were experimenting when they were kids. And now they've grown up to be responsible adults. These people have never grown up to be responsible adults. They think what they were doing then was great. And let's do it again. I'm not going to yeah. indict every child who's ever fried a doodle bug with a, a, a <laughs> magnifying glass as being a sicko. Well, uh, I think, I think, um, I'm not, I guess that you could make some serious problems if the reflectors are also concentrating, uh, which I think is kind of the point. But um, we already use solar in space. Solar is pretty good uh, for some electricity in space. We've got it all over the International Space Station. Um, 
the problem with this that comes to mind, and I have not read this article yet, so maybe they uh, cover it. But how do you how do you get the power back to back to Earth? Yeah. Uh, is it are we doing space elevators again? Um, or it's just uh, reflected. Yeah, it's just reflected light off these mirrors, as if the sun isn't already shining down on the Earth. Oh, it's, so they're not saying they're putting panels in space. No, no, it's not. It's not solar panels. Oh, it's it is concentrators. It's, mir it's are, mirrors that they hmm. then concentrate. Yeah, I don't like that idea. Things on the ground. Yeah, exactly. I don't like that at all. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> never mind. That's a terrible idea. I thought they were putting panels in space for. Uh, no, no they want the mirrors in space to beam down to the panels on the Earth's surface. And so, you know, there's a well, few things that could go wrong. Clouds, weather, <laughs> stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. Asteroids. Uh, yeah, little, yeah, little asteroids shattering your mirror. You're talking about seven years of bad luck. <laughs> what, what happens if there's an error somewhere up there and then it just happens to just turn by accident and gets right onto an airplane flying by? I mean, I'm sure that'll be safe. And that's just that's fine. that. Yeah. Or better yet, caused, Washington, D.C. Imagine this. It's not an accident. China hacks the software <laughs> yeah, and directs right. the beam at, you know, something that uh, we think is important. We've already we, we've already got people spreading rumors about directed energy weapons and stuff right, this, would, right. this would put so much fuel on that it would be unbelievable the yeah. amount of uh well you know what they need to do is they need to spray more out. chemtrails to block these things that's what they oh, need to do here we go that's what they're gonna do <laughs> all right all right enough of that enough of that let's get on to the next one now you know tesla has made lots of cars but in this week's big cold snap that hit chicago Cars are stuck in charging graveyard. They they go up to the charger and they can't charge and they're stuck and they're dead and stinking, stuck at the charger. They have to get towed away because the batteries are so cold, they will not accept the charge. I mean, if this is, it, we've seen EVs week after week after week here fail. And it's all because of the battery technology. The battery technology is just not mature enough to handle the kind of expectations that the average American driver or anywhere uh, they expect. Well, I mean, there's that time that I drove to and from New Orleans on vacation earlier this week. And uh, when I went to the pump to pump the gas, it wouldn't pump because it, oh, wait, that didn't happen. I could get gas when I needed it in minutes and uh, traveled the whole way. Uh, wasn't stuck in a frozen car by the side of the road, hoping not to freeze to self myself. Yeah. Yeah. Get robots. Right, next, you know, next thing you know, we'll have uh, battery powered school buses stuck in Maine with kids shivering because that's yeah. what the, that's what the uh, planners, that's what the school planners want is, Battery-powered buses. Let's get rural kids on buses that are going to fail in the middle of nowhere. Well, I mean, it was yep. so cold in Chicago this week. We had it. We almost had another Jesse Smollett hoax. I mean, that's how cold it's been in Chicago. So, uh, wow. Yeah. Well, that joke didn't go over well yesterday either. So, okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> well, I bet people really like coal and pipelines this week in the Midwest, right? Yeah. Um, so, okay. So while we're on the subject of electric cars, get this. Someone decided we're going to drive an electric car from the Arctic North Pole to the Southern Hemisphere North Pole. And I don't know how they got across the ocean, but apparently they did. But see, here's the interesting thing. It's a big celebration. We drove this car from pole to pole. It's electric. But if you read into the story, you discover, hey, 
they had a gasoline generator to keep the thing charged that they took yeah. with them. Yeah, they How had to have a, they, they either towed a generator or they had a, a gasoline powered truck with a generator in tow, uh, so that every time they were going low, they uh, they cranked up the gasoline generator and charged their battery. Well, that saved the planet. Yeah, well, it's because you can't find a charger in the middle of the Antarctic Peninsula. That's why. Or the Amazon <laughs> or the yeah. Pampas, uh, yeah. you know, or almost anywhere. But what yeah, I was about to say, right? or like, I don't know, central <laughs> Oklahoma. <laughs> but know. in truth, but in truth, uh, it, it, you can't find a gasoline station in the Amazon, but you can fill up before you go in it, go all the way through it and get to the next gasoline station. That's not what you can do with an electric vehicle. Nope. Nope. You know, you can't if make just, this stuff if, up. Yeah, you can't. I mean, towing, if you're just towing a generator with you, it's just your car is just gas powered, but less efficient. <laughs> That's what's happening there. It's like having buses in Oslo that are electric, and then to keep them heated, you put a diesel generator on board. I don't know how you vent the gas, but that's what they did until they decided we had to pull them off the uh, off the service routes. Yeah, I, I read just read I just read today that uh, Ford is going to greatly reduce its production of the the Ford F one fifty Lightning because nobody wants them because they can't operate as designed. You can't have a pickup truck. Uh, and electric, electric, electric technology and what a pickup truck is bought to do do not do not mesh. They do not of work together. But the F one fifty, the F one fifty, by the way, the best selling vehicle in the nation, I believe, for twenty years running. Not car, yeah. best selling vehicle, and they can't right. sell electric Ford F one fifties. Yeah, right. I would. Say, I will yeah. say, if I was like a billionaire and I had, you know, kind of spend crazy money kind of money I and I would and I was collecting cars I think I would want that cyber truck just because of what an abomination it is in appearance <laughs> it is literally like halo 2 like low you're poly about, you're talking about the tesla truck yeah yeah, yeah like low I wouldn't poly have the tesla. if I had one of those I'd put a bumper sticker on it that says my other truck is gasoline powered yeah <laughs> <laughs> I, or just my other truck runs. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't <laughs> drive it. I mean, that would be silly. I would. I. It would be a trailer queen, and I would just bring it to all the sci-fi conferences. There you go. <laughs> well, you know, there's an old joke. It's not. It's not accurate, but it's, there's an old joke. Ford stands for found on road dead. Well, when it comes to their uh, Ford F-150s, it's pretty accurate. Yeah. Mm -hmm. well, well, look at the the quote I highlighted there. Um, when I brought up the story, it says, Julie Ramsey says, this just proves that EVs can go the distance. It proves the opposite. It proves they cannot go the distance. <laughs> exactly. But see, people don't read the fine print. They're just looking at the headline and the pictures. Look, we did it. Yay. Yeah, it's all propaganda. Oh, what a load. Okay. So the U.S. has been in a deep freeze. Uh, and, and, you know, the only thing that's saving people from dying in the Midwest and the upper Midwest is fossil fuels, right? But our friend, Seth Borenstein at the Associated Press, the Propagandist Deluxe, has this article that says, U.S. in deep freeze, while much of the world is extra toasty, yet again, it's climate change. No, it's not, Seth. Uh, he wants it both ways. He wants it both ways. I mean, basically, 
you know, we've seen stories where, you know, winters are going to be warmer. And then they say, oh, winters are colder because of the polar vortex. Well, a study just came out a few months ago that showed that there was no trend in polar vortex outbreaks whatsoever. And the IPCC agrees with this. The whole thing is propaganda. But look at these two comparison images that we have of older stories uh, talking about how they won it both ways. The, the whole thing is just nuts. They don't even keep track of what's been going on with their own reporting going on out there. One story says the end of winter and other horrifying new global warming projections because it's going to get it warm. And then on the independent, we have global warming will make our winters colder. Make up your freaking minds, people. Oh, well, wait, follow, follow the science. Follow the science. That's what it is. Yeah, which science there? Uh, the, the, you know, the problem is the, the first story you brought up um, where they say it's it's cold here, but it's warm elsewhere. Well, yeah, elsewhere, unless you're in Russia where they're setting record cold or Japan where they can't get to earthquake survivors because of snow and cold or England where recent rains uh, froze over in, in uh, at Hampton Court and uh, uh, first time in, in a couple of decades. So, yeah, it's really warm everywhere else, except for all those other places around the globe where it's not warm at all. Yeah, it's kind of like the northern hemisphere is in winter and the southern hemisphere is in summer. Uh, right now. Oh, yeah. What a concept. <laughs> they just it is funny. They use Melbourne as an example of where it's hot right now. It's like, well, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's mean, hot right yeah, now. You, you, mean the summer? <laughs> yeah. you mean the summer? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. All right. So you remember last year we did a we actually did an entire show on this uh, about the Canadian wildfires and this you know the the climate change was causing more wildfires and wildfires were getting worse and more intense and all this other stuff because of climate change. Well, guess what? Those Canadian wildfires were caused by arson, and this guy pleads guilty to starting fourteen fires. Yeah, that's climate change. And guess what? The guy is a climate change activists not these well these two guys are but he they're, they're not the ones that pled guilty but here he is here he is climate change activists i, I think nice. i think they um i it's not clear to me i i know this one story says he's an activist i heard i heard he's a climate conspiracy theorist that he he oh, wanted to whatever say, he wanted to say the government was blaming was was causing it to gin up fears of uh, global warming, but he's pled guilty to 14. They suspect him of 19. Um, and, you know, arson is commonly the cause of many wildfires, uh, not just in Canada, but uh, in the West, uh, where, by the way, we had uh, really, really Whoa. low wildfire season this year. Well, it's a good thing he got caught because firebugs, I mean, they tend to be kind of precursors to worse crimes. So glad, oh, yeah. glad they well, nabbed him. Well, one of the fires he set destroyed some homes and neighborhoods. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to mute myself. My dog has seen somebody she suspects. Yeah. What I don't All know. right. So the final thing is we've got some cartoons for you this week. So after the last climate conference, we had this cartoon uh, about John Kerry because he tried to negotiate with China and failed. And so it's tough to negotiate with China on climate. They're such hypocrites while he's flying in his private jet. Oh yeah, he's calling his wife. So I'm heading home. Just don't know to which one of our five homes yet. 
but you know, we're, we're supposed to reduce us little people, you know, mm -hmm. right. What are they All talking right, next, about in Davos? They want to get rid of rice production or reduce rice production. It's the, it's the staple food for, for most of the Asian and uh, many other countries. And they want to get rid of rice production because, well, that's methane. We got, we yeah. got to do something about that. Right. Uh, he's, you know, he's crazy. Now, of course, he's leaving his post um, as climate czar. He's going to join the Biden campaign to help him get reelected. If he's a successful. Yeah, that's going to work. Yeah. If he's a successful uh, with Biden's campaign, as Kamala has been on the border and uh, as he was in negotiating with China over climate, Biden's doomed. Yeah. Anyway, so here's the deal. They've got a lovely parting gift for John Kerry as he steps down as climate czar. And I think this is wholly appropriate, don't you? This next cartoon. Yep. For years spent saving the climate, we want to honor you with this electric car, courtesy of the Hertz closeout we talked about last week. Appropriate. Appropriate. Right? Right? He does not look amused. <laughs> Yeah, and finally, welcome to the Frozone. Taylor Swift was about to lecture us on global warming, but then she froze up. The Chiefs versus the Dolphins game, minus four degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah, there's your global warming right there. Yeah, they had 60, okay. what, 60 emergency, uh, 60, uh, 69 people were treated at the game uh, by emergency personnel for co-related uh, illnesses or harm. I, I think 30 of them or 15 of them went to the hospital with severe hypothermia. Several went to the hospital with uh, frostbite. I bet they were wishing for a little global warming. I'm sure they were. And, you know, interestingly enough, in Melbourne this week, there was televised uh, tennis tournaments and the people were sweating in the stands, but no one keeled over. All right. So let's get on to our main discussion topic, man versus Stein, the climate trial of the century. Well, I want to talk about the history a little bit first. Uh, this thing has been going on for 12 years, 12 years since 2012. And it all came about based on a couple of articles that were published. Did, did he freeze Oops. up? Lost oh, when, him. When your host it wasn't you this up. time, Sterling. <laughs> yeah. my technology is gold always is gold well we'll see if anthony gets back but i i could pick up where he was leaving off because yeah. uh, this, this starts with uh what's amazing about this case is that it started in 2012 it's been 12 years that, and mark stein is the one who wanted to go to court right away he wanted to put the hockey stick on trial but back in 2012 if you remember penn state was in the news because of the jerry sandusky scandal and his uh, molesting for decades children and the whitewashing of that internal investigation by Penn State University. So uh, Ransenberg, a, um, a writer for National Review, um, I believe he's also with CEI at the time, uh, wrote a blog post on the corner at National Review. That's their, that's their blog, the corner, um, comparing the whitewash of uh, you know, Jerry Sandusky's investigation to the whitewash of the investigation of Michael Mann for his culpability in the climate gate scandal in which um, they so-called hid the decline, the whole hide the decline thing, the yeah. um, the blackballing of, of scientists who do not peddle the 
climate alarmism line um, and all of that stuff that was done, that was discovered in the ClimateGate uh, email scandal, which in the trial on the opening arguments yesterday, Mark Stein um, corrected the record from the from uh, from Michael Mann's side saying that those were not stolen. Those were not uh, absconded emails. They were leaked by a whistleblower. And so they still they, they keep calling that as some kind of crime, like, of le- you know, that somebody had stolen the emails and released them. No, it was a leak. You guys have had what, uh, 10 years more or more to find the culprit. You haven't done it. That's because it's obviously it was a leak. Anyway, I digress while Anthony hopefully comes back. The um, and so and Mark Stein had written a follow-on blog post, um, also citing the Jerry Sandusky thing. And Michael Mann said that uh, both Ransomberg, National Review, and Mark Stein had defamed him, had libeled him, and that um, by comparing him to a child molester, a convicted child molester in Jerry Sandusky, uh, Mark Stein said, "That's not what I wrote. You know, that's not what I wrote, and I'm not going away." So uh, they kept the uh, they kept it going and other parties to the suit had dropped out. Again, Mark Stein wanted to go to trial because he wanted to put the hockey stick on trial itself. And, uh, that's what's happening. And so this trial, again, it's been going on. I, I can bring up the page. I'll probably do it yeah. when Anthony comes back with the long list of, of, uh, legal, uh, machinations that have happened in the 12 years since this case first started a lot of it, almost all of it, because Michael Mann kept doing delaying tactics. His strategy, this is going to get us sued now. So we also just go full (laughs) Monty on this one because he was trying to, his strategy obviously was to run Mark Stein and Ransomberg and National Review out of money because it costs a lot of money to keep going to court. I mean, just looking, just yesterday's hearing, I believe it was like $600 or $700 that Mark Stein had to pay to walk into the courtroom and be part of that suit. And so the, the, the attempt of this is to silence any dissent, to demonize any climate realists, and to uh, you know, basically run you out of money so that you settle, and that um, Michael Mann can say, "See, they settled. I won. They're right. Little, uh, I'm little, right. They're wrong." A little more history. So, yeah, um, there were other people that were a part of the suit that were dropped from it earlier. Uh, you know, when, when Mann filed his suit, um, and uh, you know, one of the famous statements that was said is an old joke in Pennsylvania. X belongs in the state pen, not Penn State, in relation to other things. Well, they said that in relation to Michael Mann, and so that's uh, that's calling him a felon. You know, according to his logic, he's a public figure. People, evidently, he's the sole public figure in the world that can't be mocked. Um, and this is not the only lawsuit that he filed. He filed a lawsuit, a similar lawsuit, against a climate scientist. This time, a scientist. In, uh, in Canada, that suit has subsequently come to an end. Michael Mann lost that suit. He, he, in fact, was losing so badly he bothered he didn't bother to show up in the end. And they awarded the cost to the climate scientist, who never received a dime because Canada has no reach for him. As long as he stays out of Canada, they can't, they can't get him to make him pay. Um, and so, uh, he, he, he never paid and the gentleman subsequently died, uh, after spending, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars fighting Michael Mann and winning. And, and Canada doesn't even have the protected speech, uh, that we supposedly have here in the U S remember, uh, they can lock you up as a minister for saying things out of the Bible, 
that that they disagree with or for talking about uh, wrong climate speech or for fighting COVID. In Canada, they can lock you up for just talking about that. Um, they can't hear, but man already lost in Canada where they can lock you up for stuff like that. It's, 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 it's amazing. This has gone to trial. I'm surprised man just said, oh, this is going badly. Let's, let's get out of this fast. Well, yeah, we, we discussed that over, uh, over, over our internal Heartland chat the other day. And, uh, yeah, I wonder, I wonder what the, uh, what the betting would be after yesterday's, uh, opening statements. Um, I watched more of this than I think both you guys and Anthony and, uh, or at least had it on the background while I was working yesterday. Anthony is back. There he's and, uh, and yeah, so, so the idea is like, will, will man, um, say no mas and run out and run off before, um, before this gets too bad for him. Uh, I think his ego is so big. He's completely delusional. Um, and he's going to be destroyed by this lawsuit. And it's great. Th that's why this case and why we're covering it is so important. And I'll hand it back to Anthony here in a second. It's because this is the climate trial of the century, because Mark Stein refused to go away. And the centrality of his case, and he laid that out in his opening statements yesterday, is that the hockey stick is a fraud. And I'm allowed to say the hockey stick is a fraud. And you're not, you know, you shouldn't just have carte blanche to sue anybody who uh, who criticizes you and, you know, might be a little salty about it. And might throw a couple insults in there. You're a big boy. You can take it. And then he also laid out how um, Michael Mann actually, just like everybody on the left, they do exactly what they accuse their opponents of doing. He is the one who was Projection. always using vitriol and, and libel and smears, yeah. not the other side. Take it away. And, he, and he's the one that wants to that. censor. And he's the one that censors. Yes. Yeah. So uh, I missed about five minutes. Or where are we at here in the show flow of things? We didn't bring the stories that you wanted up, but I just laid out the background like you started to do about how, you know happening uh, 10 years or in 2012 and moving forward. Okay. Thanks for filling me in. All right. So first, I want to show you the courtroom. Now, we're not allowed to show the video from the courtroom. There's a rule that prevents us from rebroadcasting it. But we can show you a still picture of where Stein and Mann are in the whole scheme of things. Mark Stein on the left, Michael Mann on the right. Obviously, you can see him clearly because of his chrome dome. And um, you can get a feel of the animosity between these guys just watching this courtroom battle. Uh, the judge... It, it, from my perspective, seem to be able to take most of these arguments in. But my biggest worry about all this is that they chose a jury the other day. And some of the technical stuff that's going to come out is just going to go right over their heads. And so I think this boils down to who is more likable and who do they trust more? I, I think the technical stuff is just going to go out the window uh, as far as the jury is concerned. What do you guys think? Well, if it's who's more likable, then man is in trouble because I met the man. I've, I went to a, I was at a conference with him. We published in the same journal and he is not a pleasant individual if you nope. disagree with him. Um, whereas Stein is, is very charming, very engaging. Uh, I think I'm not clear. It's not clear to me that he didn't make a mistake when he decided to represent himself in a, in a court trial. That's, I think, always a dangerous thing. But I'm not sure any lawyer could be as engaging as he is either. So uh, it, I think it shows his fearlessness in the face of this. I can't believe it came to trial. Th this should have been thrown out. Look, every day, every day on the news, they mock our president of the United States, call, calling him doddering, stumbling, uh, you know, sniffing someone's hair, 
uh, and what that implies. They mock his son, who uh, has become a public figure, but unlike man, hasn't always been a public figure. Um, they mock all sorts of people. They make awful, terrible jokes about these people. Yeah. Uh, they man once called me a carnival barker for my views on climate. They and yet they can't sue you for libel or um, or uh, um, any of the other the other uh, term, and yet man thinks he can get away with this as if he's not a public figure engaged in the public debate, actively on Twitter and everywhere else, uh, challenging on TV. He can be mocked, and for the court not to just say, "Hold it, you're a public figure. You've got to live with this." Exactly. Yeah. He's got a he's got a serious case of small man syndrome. Like he's just a a embarrassingly cruel person online, especially on Twitter. Um, even to the point where other climate alarmists talk about him rather negatively in terms of his you know activities online and stuff. But uh, man, it's just the. Uh, you said small man syndrome. You know that you're now being added to a lawsuit as we speak. Yeah. <laughs> Discriminatory or something. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, whatever. I'll take it. Defamation. No. I'm not small. <laughs> so, so I, um, yeah, he's going to come. He's like, actually, I am, according to the United States Department yeah. of Health, I am an average height for. Well, within the. But that's norm. not what I mean. I mean, small, like the Grinch is small, like small heart. Um, <laughs> he. Uh, <laughs> and yet his heart has not grown three sides as no. too large. Maybe at the end of this, maybe once uh, Mark Stein stomps him into the dirt in this court case, it will. But I kind of doubt it. Um, he is <clears throat> a. a like um once he once he gets his jaws on something he does not let go even if it starts hurting him and it starts you know uh working against his purposes um so hopefully hopefully this goes in mark stein's favor but i will say that i am it, it does make me nervous when people represent themselves um but i i imagine that he does have you know legal um experts that he's you know conferencing with and that are there with him and stuff i can't imagine that it's just him by himself in the courtroom yeah. uh, it looks like from the photographs that we've seen and from the video that he has a little entourage with him consulting so um yeah well i well, mean the facts are on his side so i i'm not too worried yeah. yeah. I mean, Rand Simberg, one of the co-defendants, has attorney there, and he doesn't. I mean, Mark, Mark Stein defended himself against the hate speech court in Canada, where I believe if he was convicted, he may have even gone to jail. Uh, and he won that one. So, you know, he definitely has confidence. Yeah. And if you could yeah. have heard him yesterday, you had to watch live. It was fantastic. And I think it actually was, um, Anthony, to your point, I don't think he's going to be going over the heads of these people. I think actually Michael Mann and his guys are probably going to be more like that. Mark Stein's argument was that he is a public figure. Um, I did not write what he says I wrote. Um, he has a thin skin. This is I, I should win. And I mean, it was going, it was very, very well grounded and and in a way that, you know, an ordinary person could understand, which makes sense because he's been one of the most successful international columnists for, dec for decades. He's always been one of my favorite reads. And yeah. it, it, the other argument that's, that Stein makes is that he lied in his court filing. He very visibly lied in his court filing. Yep. Um, you know, uh, 
because he said he's a Nobel Prize winner, and yeah, even we'll the Nobel Committee says you ain't a prize winner. We've, you we've didn't got, get the prize. It was awarded to a committee. Yeah, so we're going to get to that, but I'm just saying that wasn't the only argument that Stein made. Right. Stein was such very a weird clear. thing to claim if it's not true. Such right. a weird thing. It's not, <laughs> unless you're like a, a a email chain scammer or something, and you can get away <laughs> with something like that because you think people aren't going to check. But to be a professional in a scientific industry and you're on the news all the time and stuff and you it's get like, away with that. It's, it's unbelievable it's, it's, to me. It's like being a production assistant or a showrunner on a film that wins the Academy award for best director and you claiming you won an Academy award. Right. Right. All right. So let's, let's get into um, Jim put up a comment on our, on our private channel yesterday um, about what this trial is about. Now, we had uh, opening arguments yesterday from Ren Simberg's attorney as well as uh, Mark Stein. And Jim wrote this, and I want to read it because it was it's very telling. Um, they are definitely putting the hockey stick on trial. Ren Simberg's attorney just put up this graph and noted that the red line is what man used. And Jim, if you can put that graph up there, thank you. But the blue and green lines are just as likely to be correct looking back in time at proxy temperature data. So saying that man was guilty of data manipulation is, in fact, a well-founded statement and not even remotely defamation. And this is from the Shane and Weiner article. I believe it was in 2013. Uh, maybe a little earlier, but basically they went and did some different reconstructions with different proxy sources of temperature and came up with three different possibilities or, you know, or two different possibilities compared to man. And the bottom line is, is and we've heard this, that they had to get rid of the medieval warm period. That's the period, you know, from 1000 to 1400. They worked really hard in their statistical manipulation to get rid of that warm period because you had to have this flat flatness then in order to make it look alarming in the present. And so the uh, the attorney also came up with, you know, they, the, the trials about comparing man to Jerry Sandusky and the whole thing at Penn State, you know, the, the sexual abuse and so forth. And so the Ransomberg's attorney put up this fantastic little table here where comparing Professor Mann to Mr. Mann's Sand. Mr. Sandusky. So both worked at Penn State, both were high profile public people, public persona. The president, who's now ousted, President Spanier, he had involvement in the whole thing. They were both put under investigation. They both didn't have any punishment initially, and both of the investigations ended up in whitewashes. And we know this. And it's the pattern basically was to protect the university. But here's the thing. When you sue someone, you have to claim damages, right? How much am I damaged by this statement? And here's the irrefutable proof that Michael Mann was not damaged at all. His pay actually went up after the articles were published in 2012. Mann made more money every year after that. You can see the red dash line. That's the baseline. Every year after that, Michael Mann's salary, which is public, went up. How about that? And I suspect that he continued to garner a lot of federal grants for his research, millions and millions of dollars uh, for research. Uh, so it didn't hurt his reputation with the feds. Um, nope. <laughs> it's yeah. Like you say, it's hard to, it's hard to see where his reputation was damaged and what damage uh, amounted to. Yeah. What damages, right? 
And so here's an email from Michael Mann in 20, November 2012. And this email is very telling about what this whole trial is all about in terms of Mann's thought process. And this uh, email that was sent, and it's been redacted, um, but we know the people involved there. But it's from Michael Mann in a response to DR, who says, when will this bastard go away? And Mann replies with, with each such action, he is adding to the damages. So we're actually quite happy he is doing this. One fringe benefit of the lawsuit will be to ruin this odious excuse for a human being. M, as in Michael. Yeah. Right. And if and if people were wondering why it looks a little wonky, um, the original screenshot of this was super blurry. So in order for it to be even partially readable, we had to uh, edit, like put it through a little bit of editing torture in uh, AI to get it clear so that's why yeah it's you know when man says things like this odious excuse for a human being he's projecting himself i mean he doesn't realize how odious he appears to people he just doesn't he's, he's clueless you know it, there's a certain it's there's a certain personality and a personality flaw i think that is behind it we all know we've all had people in our lives like this People in our lives who are, who just grossly exaggerate easily checkable things like being a Nobel Prize winner, um, you know, th there's a it's a certain personality flaw, almost maybe a mental illness, in which you do these things that are so obviously not true, and it it tends to be people who are who are also very vicious and cruel people, and I think it it, it comes down to a, a an extreme lack of self esteem. Maybe so, you know, maybe when he was coming up as as a young boy in school. Um, you know, maybe he was picked last for all the, all the games and it really it has never gotten over it. I don't know, but you know, he, and then even his friend, and then you seem to attract yourselves or seem to attract similar minded people with you because, uh, DR, uh, Tucker here responds to Michael Mann and says, when will this bastard go away? Meaning Mark Stein. It's like, yeah. you don't even know this man and, and, and you're calling him names. So it's, it's. This is why this is the climate trial of the century, not just because of the um, not just because the hockey stick itself is going to be on trial. And again, he is going to go after that with data and he's going to have scientists on the stand testifying in, uh, on on his behalf and against the hockey stick. Um, yeah. It's also putting one of the most odious, to use a phrase, um, climate alarmists in public life today. And if there is one man in the climate alarmist movement that needs a comeuppance, it's Michael Mann. Man's the man. Man, oh man. Um, he does, he does. None of us are, none of us are mental health experts. And as far as we know, nope. no one has actually um, diagnosed, diagnosed him, him with a cluster B disorder. personality yeah. disorder. Cluster B. But if I, if I, had, but if I had to put him somewhere, uh, I am not an expert. Again, none of us are experts. Nope. I want to. I will say one thing, Jim. Jim, you made the point of we've all known people like this in our lives, and, and I have too. But there was a, a movie where this kind of uh, persona was very well portrayed. Did you ever watch the movie Mr. Roberts? It was also a, a, a play. Uh, oh, the in captain. Yeah, the captain of the ship. Yeah, Jimmy Cagney played the captain, and the captain was he had a monstrous ego because the captain had been abused as a cabin boy uh you know during his 
previous cruises before he became a captain. And so all of that anger he built up associated with being abused back then, once he got a position of power, came out and he just spewed it everywhere and abused people. And and, and that kind of reminds me of this situation. But I, I think, I'm not sure that he suffered from uh, an inadequate uh, self-esteem or confidence. I think he's a... a I won't say he's a product because he's older than the current generation, but the current generation, so many of them believe they, they are great. They know the most. They are the bosses. You should take us. I mean, you know, Greta Thunberg's a perfect example of that. She's uneducated, but she knows more about climate than you do. And I think that's Michael Mann to a T is that he had unwarranted self-esteem, unearned self-esteem. And what he has is a complete, total lack of self-awareness yeah. of his limits of uh you know socrates said he was wise because he knew how little he knew about the world that ain't michael mann right so stein created a, a, a brilliant opening statement on his own and we're not allowed to show that to you, but we can talk about what he said and so we're putting the words up on the screen so that you can see them first we want to talk about how Stein was explaining how man viciously attacks anyone who criticizes him. So this is from the opening statement uh, by Mark Stein yesterday. The thesis of Mr. Man's hockey stick, as we will hear from our various witnesses, is that although I can't tell you what the temperature is for your entire human lifetimes, free rings, our absolute tree rings are absolutely brilliant at telling you the temperature in the year 1432. That is his theory, all right? So, and if you criticize that, he doesn't engage with you. He does what he always does, which he goes on Twitter and says, you're funded by the Koch brothers. He's accused me of that. The Koch brothers don't even know who I am. And you're a white supremacist and most likely a homophobe or an, and an Islamophobe and a transphobe to boot. Eleanor Roosevelt, your late First lady, she had an interesting line. She said, great minds discuss ideas. Average minds discuss events. Small minds discuss people. And he, man, discusses people. He plays the man, not the ball. Ooh, Coke-funded climate denier homophobe. I have no idea why an argument about tree ring should make one a racist or a homophobe. And if Mr. Williams, man's attorney, is willing to put his client in the witness box, maybe we'll ask him. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Told you he did good. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, man, when he took on Stein, he just didn't know who he was up against. I mean, Stein is a fantastic orator on the cuff even, you know, he's got a command of the language and a command of knowledge that well exceeds Michael Mann's ability to communicate. It's it's a bit like if he were going up against uh, the late William Buckley, a, a beautiful command of the English language and uh, structure and and rhetoric and argumentation, you know, the, how logic, how logical arguments are supposed to work. Exactly. All right. So Stein also went after a man and his whole, I'm a Nobel Prize winner claim. And so he says, this man is not a Nobel Prize recipient. Not at all. But he's passed himself off as one for years on end. There are very few of those, a few dozen around the planet at any one given time. 
So purporting to be a Nobel laureate is the equivalent of what some of you might have heard of stolen valor, where people impersonate warriors and so forth. Those contemptible men one runs into from time to time who claim to have been in the thick of it at Omaha Beach on D-Day or in Vietnam or the Sunni Triangle in Iraq or whatever, when in reality they were back home in the Lazy Boy recliner watching Dancing with the Stars. As you will hear in the coming days, Michael E. Mann is the only scientist on the planet for whom the director of the Nobel Institute has had to issue a statement explaining that he is not and never has been, quote, a Nobel Prize recipient. Nobel Committee rebukes Michael Mann for falsely claiming he was awarded the Nobel Prize. Michael Mann has never been awarded the Nobel Prize. Nobel Peace Prize, and, and that's directly from the Nobel president. That's a direct quote from then director of the Nobel Institute in Norway, Geary Lundstad. I would have called Dr. Lundstad as a witness, but he's dead. That's one of the drawbacks of advocating a case whose relevant events happened 12 years ago. And you know why? Because man has delayed and delayed and delayed and delayed again. Yeah, I mean to to hear that, and I grabbed those those excerpts, and I actually made video, and you would have heard the words out of his mouth. It was a beautiful thing, and then I was told this morning, you better not play that because the courts do not allow that. Um, if you guys are familiar with Anne and Phelan McAleer, in fact, if you watched uh, those watching on YouTube, you saw Michael Mann being harassed by a uh, journalist. That journalist was Phelan McAleer with the hat, and uh, they are in the courtroom, and they are doing a podcast that you should check out. Um, about this, covering this trial. And I guess it'll be around for three weeks. And they have actors um, reading the transcripts from the court to reenact it. And then when I put two and two together, I realized, yeah, they don't allow you to record things. So even though it's live streamed and even though I captured it and kept it the way it was exactly how it was in the courtroom, I could probably get in legal trouble. And so could this channel. We're in enough trouble already uh, if I played that audio today. But him going right after Michael Mann for being a fake Nobel laureate and uh, mentioning that, you know, I would have called uh, the, the head of the Nobel committee to, to trial, but he's dead. Uh, the way Stein <laughs> delivered that was so biting. I could just imagine steam coming out of Michael Mann's ears. It was amazing. Yeah. And, you know, Stein's, this is just the first volley from Stein, right? He's got all kinds of stuff wound up, I'm sure. You're starting to feel sorry for him? Oh, Christine, really? <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. I don't know. I kind of do, too. Oh. It's uh, just us, Christine. I, I, I haven't I, been in this as long as you guys have. I don't feel no, sorry I don't for feel evil bad people. For him. I don't, I don't, I don't feel, feel bad for him getting, getting, you know, kind of trounced in this area and i don't feel sorry for him getting comeuppance for um, his bad behavior and for his junk science um but man this guy i mean he just doesn't let stuff he just doesn't have the ability to let stuff go and that's got to be a difficult mindset to live with you know so that's that's the extent of my yeah. pity i guess if you, you know any, um, more pity, any more pity for michael mann linnea and that's a one-way ticket to the mute button so you've been warned <laughs> Yeah. Jim, I think we've got enough time for this, if you can find it. Sure. Um, Mark Stein gave a keynote address 
2015 at our Washington Climate Conference, and it was absolutely fantastic. And, and I was named in there, you know, it, <laughs> I was happy because it was so hilarious the way that Stein put all this together. And of course, he's still trying to get this lawsuit to trial. And he's, you know, man keeps throwing out roadblocks right and left because man really doesn't want to be on trial because man knows that he's not going to look all that good. And that's been the problem with the whole thing. And that's why it's taken 12 years to come to trial. And, um, but, you know, the, the fact that Dr. Mann wants to call everybody names that disagrees with him was really evident in the way that Stein came up with this, um, this keynote address. And it, it was just, just beautiful. And I see Jim's got it in the background and staging there. So when you're ready, Jim, just go ahead and play that. No audio. A great honor to be there here we go. at the Heartland Institute. The Heartland Institute is an absolutely indispensable beacon of sanity on this issue. Uh, and I'm, I'm also honored to be here with uh, some of the uh, eminent scientists uh, with whom I'm sharing the pages uh, of our book, Climate Change, The Facts, uh, Bob Carter, and Pat Michaels, and Willie Soon, and Scott Armstrong, and Alan Moran, and Anthony Watts, whom you've uh, just heard from. We're all, in, we're all in this book, so you don't need to wait for us all to write 25 different books. You can get the compressed version, all in climate change, the facts. Un unlike, unlike those guys, I've made no useful scientific contribution. Uh, I've basically only been invited here because... Uh, as Jim mentioned, I'm, I'm being sued by the uh, inventor of the global warming hockey stick, Michael Mann. Um, I wish that were a more exclusive club, actually. Uh, but in this very room, I've met a, a couple of other folks he's threatened. And of course, my fellow Canadian, Tim Ball, is here, uh, whom Dr. Mann is suing in British Columbia. Uh, I'm, I'm Canadian, and Tim Ball is Canadian. Man seems to be a bit Canuckophobic, <laughs> which is apparently in this, in this uh, very identity group conscious age is apparently the only phobia you're still allowed to have in America. Uh, so I don't know what's up with uh, Dr. Man on this. It's payback for the War of 1812 or something. I don't know. Um, but, but anyway, I'm here because man's uh, suing me, which, which uh, as I say, isn't really a useful contribution to science on my part. Although if I win and he loses, I like to think that will be a very lasting contribution to science on my part. Not, uh, you know, I, I'm, I, I understand my limitations. It's a useful contribution. It's not up there with Sir Isaac Newton. Uh, but maybe, you know, Ernest Rutherford, it's that kind, that's kind, that kind of level. Anyway, the trial's going to be right here in, uh, in the uh, District of Columbia Superior Court. And my lawyer, Michael Songer, is uh, actually here today. Uh, last, uh, last year, in a trade secrets case, um, he won a big payout for DuPont of $919.9 million. Uh, and he's promised me we can take Dr. Man for at least a round billion by the time we're through with it. Um, 
Now, as most of you probably know, um, lawyers don't like it when, when clients talk about the case in public uh, because, it, because it can cause problems with, uh, with the judge. Uh, you, you've, you've heard that, right? Uh, I'd never heard it till this morning, uh, uh, till he mentioned it to me just before breakfast. And I'd already written my speech by that point. Uh, and I'm hopeless at ad-libbing, so it's too late to change it. Um, so I'll quickly, I'll quickly tell you where I stand climate-wise. This, this Monday is the 800th anniversary of Magna Carta, which the... Uh, <laughs> I see I, one of Her Majesty's Canadian subjects is uh, applauding eagerly there. Uh, which, the, uh, which the, barons, uh, the barons forced King John to agree to in a field uh, at Runnymede on June the 15th, 1215. Uh, when I was a schoolboy, we were taught that the England of 1215 was a degree or so warmer than today. And, and vineyards were sown as far north as the Isle of Ely. If you're wondering, if you're, if you're not British and you're wondering where the Isle of Ely is, it's a stone's throw from where the East Anglia Climatic Research Unit <laughs> stands today, the Climate Gate guys. So I will take global warming seriously when they tear down the climatic research unit uh, and sow a vineyard, uh, making an amusing little Chateauneuf du Phil Jones. <laughs> um, uh, until, until Michael E. Mann abolished the medieval warm period with a, a wave of his magic hockey stick, it was acknowledged as a hugely beneficial phenomenon that led to the flourishing of the economy, agriculture, industry, science, art, uh, and liberty, as in, as in Magna Carta. Magna Carta Libertatum, the great charter of uh, liberties. Uh, apparently, they don't have Magna Carta here in the District of Columbia. So, uh, they've, got, they've got the DC anti-slap law, which uh, so far is nowhere near as good, unfortunately. Um, after the medieval warm period, we had the Little Ice Age, and then the, war, uh, the warming we've had since the 19th century. I accept the planet has warmed, and I rejoice that it has warmed, because uh, as with the medieval warm period, it's been hugely beneficial to mankind. Uh, I mentioned that I'm Canadian. The entire political, economic, and cultural development of my country has taken place during this warming period. Uh, Nova Scotia, 1848, the first responsible government in the British Empire. Uh, 1867, the birth of the Dominion of Canada. My entire nation has been the beneficiary of this warming trend. There's a statistic that some of you may be familiar with that says something like 90% of the population of Canada lives within 100 miles of the U.S. border. Uh, you know why that is? Because you go beyond that, it's freezing cold. <laughs> Uh, when you revolutionaries and us loyalists had uh, carved up the continent, we should have done it uh, north-south, down the Mississippi. <laughs> I was talking to, to Prof Professor Van Kooten yesterday, who spoke yesterday, and he said he'd moved from uh, Alberta to British Columbia because it was warmer. That's like moving from Louisiana to Mississippi for the skiing. Uh, <laughs> so, 
90% of uh, Canadians live within 100 miles of the U.S. border. If we hadn't had uh, the warming of the last uh, century and a half, 99.9% .9 of Canadians would be living within 100 yards of the U.S. border. <laughs> It'd just be like one long condo development strung along the 49th parallel. That would be it. So when I first saw Michael Mann's hockey stick 15 years ago, I reacted much as Jonathan Jones, professor of physics at Oxford University did. Um, if you've never heard of this Oxford University outfit, it's apparently some uh, wacky fringe uh, Coke-funded denialist front group where you can uh, download a diploma for 17 shillings and threepence halfpenny. No one takes it seriously. Anyway, Professor Jones says, quote, like many people, I was dragged into this by the hockey stick. I was looking up some minor detail about the medieval warm period and discovered this weird parallel universe of people who apparently didn't believe it had happened. And even more bizarrely appeared to believe that essentially nothing had happened in the world before the 20th century. <laughs> The hockey stick is an extraordinary claim which requires extraordinary evidence. So I started reading around the subject and it soon became clear that the first extraordinary thing about the evidence for the hockey stick was how extraordinarily weak it was and the second extraordinary thing was how desperate its defenders were to hide this fact. I'd always had an interest in pathological science and it looked... <laughs> And it looked like I might have stumbled across a really good modern example, unquote. I agree, I agree with that. Um, for a generation of people across the Western world, Michael Mann abolished not only the medieval warm period, but the entire concept of natural climate variability. If you talk to uh, some of these young activists who've been force-fed this stuff since kindergarten, Uh, they don't even believe, they don't know what natural climate variability is. So I call the hockey stick fraudulent because it is in every sense, both in its construction and in the uses to which it's been put by the IPCC and Al Gore and every schoolhouse and most governments throughout the Western world. Uh, the hockey stick is what's called, as all of you know, a proxy reconstruction. A proxy reconstruction. And there are only two problems with it the proxies, and the reconstruction. <laughs> Other than that, it's fine. Uh, but uh, but uh, uh, my government, um, well, not, uh, not, not my government. I don't want to make it sound like I was responsible for it. Her, Her Majesty's government in Ottawa uh, used the hockey stick to sell Kyoto to the Canadian people. And so did uh, Her Majesty's government down in New Zealand and virtually every other advanced nation except the United States in between. So real people paid a real price for this. So I call the hockey stick fraudulent in National Review and Michael Mann uh, sued me for defamation. He, he venue shopped very well. Uh, he doesn't live or work in the District of Columbia. I don't live or work in the District of Columbia. Uh, but I voluntarily submitted to their jurisdiction Uh, because I thought if they were so eager to take the case, they'd be capable of litigating a 270-word blog post in under 270 weeks. <laughs> We are now coming up to the start of the fourth year. Is, uh, is this the section uh, mocking and sneering at the incompetent DC courts that you wanted me to take out? Uh, okay. 
Now, not every part of this case's delay is the fault of the courts. Mann's lawyer, uh, John Williams, incidentally, John Williams tried to sneak in here without uh, paying yesterday. Seri I'm being serious, and he had to be escorted out. Um, you, you know, this is such a racist society. When, when black youths gate crash a pool party in Texas, the cops start cussing them out, and uh, they draw their guns and they shove their, these bikini-clad teenagers to the ground. But when Michael Mann's $1,200 an hour white shoe lawyer gate crashes the big climate denier's pool party, he just gets politely asked to leave. You know, I'm like, oh, come on, can't you tase him? <laughs> Uh, but I, 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 men I mention it, I mention it because if you were kept awake last night by what sounded like uh, occasional thumps against the wall, uh, that was just Michael Mann's lawyer rappelling down the ventilation shaft uh, to get in place before breakfast. Hi, John. Uh, oh, what was that other thing you mentioned? Don't make cracks about the other guy's lawyer because it... It makes it harder to reach a settlement. Oh. Uh, as I said, not all the delay in this case is the fault of the courts. Uh, the, the aforementioned Mr. Williams, uh, Dr. Mann's counsel, filed a complaint with the Superior Court accusing me of, quote, the professional and personal defamation of a Nobel Prize recipient. Unquote. Uh, this, this was a hitherto unknown crime to me. Quote, <laughs> Defamation of a Nobel Prize recipient. That's not in Magna Carta, uh, but it's apparently a crime in the District of Columbia. Um, until then, I had no idea Michael Mann was a Nobel Prize winner. And as it turns out, neither did the Nobel Institute. Um, Uh, a, 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 couple, a couple of reporters uh, called them up, and the director, the then director of the Nobel Institute, Dr. Geer Lunderstadt, said, quote, Michael Mann has never been awarded the Nobel Peace Prize, unquote. That's what he claims to have won, by the way, the Nobel Peace Prize. But notice the subtle elision of his legal pleadings, quote, defamation of a Nobel Prize recipient. So not just a lousy old Nobel Peace Prize winner, where you're standing in the Hall of Fame between Al Gore and Yasser Arafat, <laughs> but a bona fide Nobel Prize, uh, a, a bona fide Nobel Prize winner, where you're right in the same pantheon as Einstein and the Curies and all the rest of them. A man claims to be a Nobel laureate because in 2007, the IPCC as an institution received the Nobel Peace Prize. And Mann was one of thousands upon thousands of people who've been associated with the IPCC since 1990. Uh, a couple of years later, you may recall, uh, the European Union uh, won the Nobel Peace Prize. <laughs> so on Mann's criteria, the EU has 500 million Nobel laureates. You can't, you can't swing a cat over there without hitting a Nobel laureate. You, uh, you go to one of those nude beaches in the south of France, uh, you know, in August, and uh, it's wall-to-wall -wall naked Nobel laureates from, from San Tropez to Monte Carlo. It's, uh, 
It's the nearest you'll get to seeing Max Planck and Gustav Hertz and Francis Crick doing The Girl from Ipanema. <laughs> so every EU citizen is a Nobel laureate. Uh, my father's Irish and my mum's Belgian, so I'm a two-time Nobel laureate. <laughs> Eat your heart out, Sir Frederick Banting, you know. Uh, this, this to me is, is important, is important, because it gets to the heart of the bubble that these people live in. Uh, why would they think twice about uh, adjusting their figures? If a man seriously believes that the pantheon of laureates can be adjusted to include himself, why would he be bothered about adjusting uh, the 1915 temperature record uh, the way Noah did uh, just last week. What's the big deal about that? If you seriously believe yourself to be a Nobel laureate, as thousands of these guys do, uh, and that's why they had no qualms about adjusting the 1915, the temperature record of the last century, as they announced last week. That's that was. I was absolutely stunned, by the way. That was the, absolutely the most. Uh, dramatically adjusted figure that I'd seen um, since Caitlyn Jenner a couple of days earlier. Uh, if, you, if, if you take Michael Mann out of this equation, uh, a lot of the so-called lukewarmers and the moderates and all the rest of it, some of you may know uh, Dr. Richard Betts, and Dr. Tamsin Edwards over in England, and they both said that they don't think the term denier is useful. Who uses the term denier more than anybody else? Uh, Dr. Mann has called just about everyone here deniers. I'm just cruising his Twitter, fair, Twitter feed here. Climate denier Joe Bast. Climate change denier John Coleman. Climate change denier Roy Spencer. Anthony Watts climate change denier extremist. <laughs> you win, Anthony. <laughs> you know, there used to be a thing on, on Broadway. Uh, Jim mentioned uh, that I have a, a liking for Broadway. There used to be a thing off-Broadway. There was a fashion for plays a few years ago. I think Sam Shepard wrote one of them where it'd be like some inbred Appalachian family and uh, at one point, uh, there'd been a stillborn baby, and they just buried it out in the yard, and no one mentioned it. And uh, even though no one mentioned it, uh, uh, the less they talked about it, the worse they got. It still infected and poisoned everything they did. And that is what they're trying to do now with the hockey stick. If they could redo uh, the third assessment report of the IPCC, they would not put everything on the hockey stick. And they think they can get away with just not mentioning it, just not looking at it, just ignoring it, uh, trying not to catch Michael Mann's eye. The fascinating thing about those ClimateGate emails, by the way, is not all the, the science stuff where the doubts they expressed were well known, but the fact that uh, but the, but, but the actual personal relationships between Mann and these poor schlubs in East Anglia who sound like Michael Mann's battered wives. Uh, 
they, uh, you know, they uh, they're trying to avoid another slap uh, from him, but they don't they don't want they don't want actually to finally get out and walk away, and they have to get up and walk away from the hockey stick and be seen to do so for the integrity of science. This this. This, this conference, this conference is called a fresh start. And that is what climate science needs. I urge you to read Matt Ridley's piece in the Australian magazine Quadrant uh, this month. That pinning everything, taking a wild ride on the hockey stick, corrupted the heart of climate science. And to cleanse themselves, they have to actually draw a clear line and admit that the last 15 years were wrong, that it corrupted everything it touched from the prestigious journal Nature uh, to peer review to the governments that embraced it to the Climatic Research Unit, which trashed its founder's legacy. These guys did it from a building called the Hubert Lamb Building. Hubert Lamb was one of the greatest climatologists of the 20th century, and they trashed his legacy to take a ride on Michael Mann's coattails. And climate science, climate science has to make a fresh start and get beyond this, because they will sound ridiculous. Uh, we, we heard earlier that many people have not fallen for this. Uh, and that takes a, a great courage. Most of us are not Galileo. I'm glad, by the way, whoever said uh, uh, that, uh, imagine what Galileo could have done if he'd had the internet, because I think he'd just have been posting cat pictures all day. But <laughs> most of us are not Galileo. Most people want to be like most people. And when you look at the polls then of people who say, no, climate change isn't important. It's number 19 on my list of concerns. And you consider that ABC and CBS and NBC and the BBC and the CBC in Canada and the New York Times and Le Monde and the Times of London and the Sydney Morning Herald and everyone else have shoved this thing down people's throats now for 20 years and they're still refusing to swallow it. That is extremely unusual given the levels of propaganda control. And that is why a fresh start is possible. But it requires climate science to recover its integrity and climb off the hockey stick. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. That was fantastic. I mean, there is no better indictment of Michael Mann on the hockey stick ever. Now, I, I got to admit, I'm envious uh, of you, Anthony. Uh, yeah. You, you, you're mentioned directly. Uh, man attacked you directly. He met me. I, as far as I know, he's never attacked me. Um, uh, gosh, you are a star. <laughs> Let's not get carried All away. Right. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> All right. So I'm, I'm going to have to get that. You've got those words framed, you know? So uh, anyway, we've run long, but we want to go through question and answer real quick. If any of you got some questions, we'll try to address those. And then we have a special video for the ending of this show. So what do we got? Whitward asks, what's the worst case scenario for man? Well, I think what will happen if, let's say, man loses the case, which seems possible, he'll, re he'll appeal, and he'll appeal again, and he'll drag it out for another 10 years, I'm guessing. 
but the worst case scenario, that's what he asked about, is that he'll lose. He'll be the, the court cost will be awarded to Stein. Stein's legal fees, because he did have a lawyer, uh, even though the lawyer's not evidently arguing, the other gentleman's lawyers will have to be paid. Uh, it, it'd be nice if it actually came out of um, man's personal account rather than some slush fund set up by the University of Pennsylvania. His, uh, his standing will be d- diminished. His work will be uh, diminished. And uh, it, it will set back uh, climate alarmism because so much of it, as you know, as Stein pointed out, is built on the hockey stick. If you walk away from hockey stick, you got to start over. And that, I think, is maybe why um, man and others are so fiercely defending it uh, because they don't want to start. They don't want to sh- see that it's a, a sham. So if he loses, that's the worst that can happen. I, I, I don't think he'll lose his job at UPenn. He's too big at. Uh, raising money. Um, uh, he still publishes all the time. So, uh, but, but that, that may go away if he loses. Yeah. All right. Next question. Dominic Liello, didn't they splice proxy and direct measurements together to get the hockey stick? Yes. And this is where the hide the decline term came from. You see, Tree rings aren't necessarily perfect indicators of temperature. Trees respond to other things. There's a, there's a rule out there called Liebig's Law, which says that the minimum thing to make a tree grow is the determining factor. And that can be temperature, that can be water availability, sunlight availability, or nutrient availability. And so what is a tree ring really measuring? So the problem was is that after about 1960 or so, the tree ring proxy data went down instead of up. And so what man did was he put the instrumental temperature record for the globe on top of it. He overlaid it. He covered up the decline. And this is well documented. This is not conjecture or opinion. It's well documented by Steve McIntyre and others. And so bottom line is, is that they put the instrumental temperature record on there with all of its UHI and problematic weather stations and, and airport weather stations that we've talked about time and again on top of the tree ring record. And it's like you don't splice two data sets together to get an end result. And that's why, uh, amongst other reasons, um, Mark Stein is calling the hockey stick fraudulent. Well, it- and I think another reason, and maybe you can connect me if I'm wrong, Anthony, it's been a while since I looked at the hockey stick, but I thought uh, that, in fact, it wasn't just a complete uh, reconstruction from all of the trees that they that they looked at. In fact, they threw out some trees that didn't seem to correspond to, uh, uh, to the theory. So... It was That's a selective re- it was a selective reconstruction based on some trees, sometimes some trees within the same group. So some trees were growing faster. Well, we're, we're going to ignore the ones that aren't growing as fast or that are, you know, the other way around. So even that was suspicious, but maybe I'm wrong. Right. About the premise was is that the larger tree rings in width represented warmer temperatures. But there was this one tree that Steve McIntyre discovered, and it was tagged YAD061, I believe. And it was up in Yamal, way, way up in the far north. And this tree had a massive growth, just like way up, just like the hockey stick. So what happened? That tree became the dominant mathematical factor for all of this reconstruction because they put in lesser trees that didn't have this. But this thing dominated the statistics. So what happened there? Did it get more water? 
did a reindeer come by and take a dump next to the tree and it got more nutrients? Who knows? But it certainly can't be said that that particular tree responded only to temperature. Thank you, uh, Peter Williams, for the super chat there. He says, contribution uh, to your legal costs versus man. So <laughs> thank you very much. <laughs> All right. Next question. Yeah, there it is. Uh, I'm sure we'll have some. We're looking forward to that fight. Okay. Any other questions? No more questions. All right. Well, then I think we're good. We've run long, but I want you to stick around because we have a fantastic ending for this show. My favorite video of all time, even better than Mark Stein's video, at least in my opinion. Anyway, I want to thank you for joining us today. Thanks to our panel, Sterling, Jim, and Linnea for being with us. Uh, thanks to all of you viewers. And uh, thanks, everybody, for just participating in bringing out the truth. So I want to wish everybody a great Friday and a fantastic weekend. I'm Anthony Watts for the Heartland Institute saying goodbye and so long. Making up dead of the old hard way Fudging the numbers day by day Ignoring the snow and the cold in a downward line Had to decline Michael Mann thinks he's so smart Totally inventing the hockey stick chart Ignoring the snow and the cold in a downward line Hide the decline. Hide the decline. The climate gauge. I think you have sealed your fate. I hope you do a lot of time. Cause what you did was such a crime. Hide the decline. Had to decline The tree ring data was very thin You should have chopped more trees instead of hugging them Ignoring the snow and the cold in a downward line Had to decline Had to decline You have sealed your fate I hope you do a lot of time Cause what you did was such a crime Had to decline Had to decline Had to decline Had to decline I had to decline. I had to decline. I had to decline. I had to decline. I had to decline.